With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Local Voices. I'm Brad Ford. This week, honoring Black History Month, a major announcement from Komen of Southwest Washington and Oregon, and an update from the governor on the pandemic and the effort to vaccinate Oregonians. February is Black History Month, and Portland City Council honored it this week with a group of speakers. It started with Donovan Smith. We recognize the centuries of genocide, ethnic cleansing, and crimes against humanity that have been, been inflicted on the people who were made Black in this land. We are the architects of this land. We are the foundation of this country's wealth. Through colonization and genocide, this land became known as the Oregon Territory, encompassing lands of modern-day Washington, Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana, before finally becoming the 33rd state of America on February 14, 1869. Despite the exclusion of our presence in state law, we have been here since the early days, living, stewarding, laboring, and building families in this land. We are the descendants of the Great Migration. We are the descendants of Vanport. We recognize that in the demise of Vanport, Albina became the home of the largest black community in this land's history. While Albina became a nucleus to our black community, we have continued to live and build throughout Oregon. We continue to live in all corners of the state. We've been here. We're still here. Taisha Nicole Riley is the mental health specialist for the city of Portland. This afternoon, we come together to recognize February 2021 as Black History Month, with the theme being the Black family, representation, identity, and diversity. I come before you to pay tribute to the Black excellence that has built and shaped our society, despite the obstacles and hurdles that we have endured and continue to fight through. Today we celebrate our blackness without reservation or hesitation, but with pride and honor. If we are to ponder the theme for this year, black family, representation, identity, and diversity, without a shadow of a doubt, many of us will automatically defer to our historical oppression, ancestors enslavement and marginalization. From the days when we were treated as property and identified as everything but human, when our families were intentionally torn apart and dismantled to create wealth, status, and stability, while the Black family system suffered complex trauma, dehumanized treatment, brokenness, and identity and worth deprivation, to a time when we as a people are saying no more of the same, where we are saying I am Black and I am proud where we are positioning ourselves to be represented in positions of power and influence across all industries that shine a light on our talent, our value, and our passion, where we are infiltrating systems to champion change that creates space for diversity, equity, and real inclusion for us, where we are shouting 
our humanity matters, our struggle matters, our accomplishments matter, our lives matter, and our black excellence matters. At a time when we can look at leaders in this country and see a woman of color as the first female vice president just elected, and prior to that having a black first family in the White House, many will say that we've, we've, we've made it, we've arrived, progression is happening. But if we are to take a step back and reflect on what I call the black family, the proof is evident that the majority of us have not reached a place of feeling accomplished um, and feeling like we have made it. Not because we have not tried, not because we have not worked, not because we have persevered, but because we are working against a system that was not built to support us, to empower us, or to create success for us. Let us take a moment to, to reflect on who has power and influence and who is depicted in a positive light and not villainized, stereotyped, or put into the confines of an oppressive societal box. The veracity of the black family is complex, often depicted as unstable, hopeless, financially bound, lacking direction and dysfunctional. While the white family is depicted as well off, happy, healthy, successful, and the standard. Our stories may not align with perfection, but let's be real, neither does that of dominant culture. It is in these moments that our truth must be heard loud and clear. We are declaring the black family, the black community and the black experience as valuable, as powerful, as majestic, as graceful, as driven, as principled and as flourishing. It is not merely enough to speak our truth during Black History Month but rather to speak and live our authentic truth throughout the year. Our trials, tribulations, victories and achievements expand far beyond the month of February. Black brilliance and power can be found weaved throughout our existence and we will continue to rewrite the narrative of the Black family and continue to break barriers, challenge the status quo and create opportunities for our contributions to be highlighted and embraced. Dr. Markeisha Smith is Portland's Director of Office of Equity and Human Rights. Today we come together to affirm our commitment to our city core values of anti-racism and equity by collectively acknowledging February 2021 as Black History Month. This year's theme, The Black Family, Representation, Identity, and Diversity, is a perfect way to honor the beauty, strength, and vitality of the Black family and community. Despite the continuous threats that inequitable anti-Black systems and structures impose on the sustainability of Black families, the blessings of our ancestors, resiliency, and Black excellence cannot be defeated. May we all be reminded that the history and contributions of Black folks should be honored, embraced, and celebrated every day of the year. I would like to end with a poem by the late poet laureate Maya Angelou entitled The Black Family Pledge. And in my analysis of this poem, I feel like it's a call to remember who we are and the power of our active truths and history. And I love poetry, so those of you that know me know that. <laughs> so the Black Family Pledge. Because we have forgotten our ancestors, our children no longer give us honor. Because we have lost the path our ancestors cleared, kneeling in perilous undergrowth, our children cannot find their way. Because we have banished the God of our ancestors, our children cannot pray. Because the old wells of our ancestors have faded beyond our hearing, our children cannot hear us crying. 
because we have abandoned our wisdom of mothering and fathering, our befuddled children give birth to children they neither want nor understand. Because we have forgotten how to love, the adversary is within our gates and holds us up to the mirror of the world shouting, regard the loveless. Therefore, we pledge to bind ourselves to one another, to embrace our lowliest, to keep company with our loneliness, to educate our illiterate, to feed our starving, to clothe our ragged, to do all good things, knowing that we are more than keepers of our brothers and sisters. We are our brothers and sisters. In honor of those who toiled and implored God with golden tongues, and in gratitude to the same God who brought us out of hopeless desolation, we make this pledge. Portland City Council passed a resolution honoring Black History Month in February. You know about the Susan G. Komen Oregon and Southwest Washington organization that's done so much in, in the area of breast cancer, both importance and of improving and building on the quality of life for survivors, emphasizing the value of early detection and screenings and the financial assistance to those who go through treatment. They have really done an amazing job in our community. And so the news today uh, being broken is that that organization is being dissolved and uh, Komen National will centralize all services. That means staff gone and what else? Let's find out. Andrew Casado. CEO of Coleman, Oregon and Southwest Washington with us. No surprise to you, I take it, Andrew, because the national organization, I believe, announced last April that this was going to happen. Uh, that's correct, Paul. I think we learned a lot more as the months passed. Um, in the fall, we, it became much clearer. But of course, the pandemic has affected everyone, including Susan G. Komen. And a couple of months into the pandemic, the national organization indeed announced their decision that they would consolidate the entire affiliate network into one Coleman to provide greater efficiency and effectiveness in, mission, in its mission delivery during these times um, uh, that we find ourselves in. So last spring, in an effort to continue to serve our community as long as possible, in preparation for this change, we did close our physical office in downtown Portland and began to work remotely, reduce salaries, made tough personnel choices like many organizations have. Um, but in late fall, it really became clear for our affiliate, who's in the latter part of this year-long process, that all programs, services, fundraising, marketing, technology, accounting, really would be managed by the one common entity, uh, which it resides in Dallas, uh, though they are virtual now as well. So by March 31, Susan uh, G. Komen, Oregon, Southwest Washington, as an affiliate here for 29 years, will be fully transitioned, um, dissolved, if you will, as an affiliate for the national organization to take over their national or deliver their national services. So the last day for the majority of our staff will be February 19th, and then key staff will continue to oversee the logistics of the consolidation and, and the transition of local programs through the end of March. Andrew, uh, we certainly are familiar with, with Susan G. Komen, Oregon, Southwest Washington. It's been a pleasure for KEX and our parent company, iHeartMedia, to support the organization and, and your work through a variety of events and other things. But give us a reminder of, of what you've been able to do in terms of uh, program and, and organizational work uh, for breast cancer people uh, over the last almost 30 years, as you mentioned. Thank you. You know, we, we, we really want to celebrate this. You know, it's, it's not the end that we intended or, or thought would happen. But after 29 years, we have invested $35 million in the local community, whether through breast health education, screening, patient navigation, treatment assistance, grants to other nonprofits, and certainly our work in the communities of color with our Asian American 
Family Services support through our Latina initiative and now our African-American initiative. And all of that was done with local support and local dollars. Um, and that is just an amazing testament to the breast cancer community and all of us who work in partnership um, during that, have worked in partnership during that time. We know this change is upsetting and we deeply empathize with everyone who is listening and has supported Komen, certainly at K103 uh, with Team Janine and, and so many others who listen in every day and, and those who are listening who have breast cancer, our loved ones that have. But this has been a place of support, friendship and family during some of the hardest times in our lives. And it is a heavy heart, uh, with a heavy heart that I deliver this, this news today. Um, we've been speaking with our constituents the past uh, few weeks. They've been um, sad uh, about this and, and, and it's been taken very difficult. It's been very difficult to take, but they have also been incredibly supportive and in, in celebrating the partnerships that we've had. Uh, one, one thing I do wanna share is part of our decision to close now instead of waiting till the clock runs out in the summer is that our donors gave to this organization locally to support local programs. And while our programs will become national, nationals programs, excuse me, will supplant our local programs um, and our local programs will end. We, we decided as a board and staff that if we close now, uh, we have the opportunity to give back $200,000 to community partners, either to continue the work we began or to further enhance their work, which is so important um, as breast cancer patients listening now know. So these organizations and programs are listed on our website, mm -hmm. as well as more detail about this transition at ComanOregon.org. And I invite people to go there to learn about how we will be providing those resources over the next few weeks to these to these community partners uh, to carry on their work, and hopefully the legacy of Coman um, as our affiliate as our affiliate programs are sunsetted by the national organization. We're talking with uh, CEO Andrew Asado of Coleman, Oregon, Southwest Washington, announcing its dissolution today. Uh, you mentioned Janine Wolf at our sister station, K103, who I believe has led the league with her listeners in terms of uh, media people raising money for Coleman, and we've really celebrated Janine around here. And, and not to put a negative spin on it, Andrew, but as the 61 affiliate network is consolidated, what, if anything, do we lose locally, and how does it impact... Uh, your work in terms of improving the quality of life for survivors in this community, if at all? Well, I think Oregon and Southwest Washington, I know this affiliate um, has been unique among its peers in terms of uh, being innovative and really going beyond um, not only just funding other organizations, but really starting initiatives on our own in-house. And that is the piece I think that will be, I know will be missed by our community, those who both have tapped into our resources and the healthcare partners who have worked with us from hospitals to clinics across the state of Oregon and Southwest Washington, uh, because that model will be different um, uh, when we close our doors. And that's the legacy that we've left. Um, it's that being close to the patient and those personal relationships. You know, I visited all 36 counties in Oregon Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, many times over with our program director. And so you, you understand 
the deep need and as well as within southwest washington the three counties we serve that just won't happen um as a national organization because as as, as much as far as we know they have no intent to hire staff locally they will have staff working on programs that do provide services locally and they hope to fundraise in this community um <clears throat> How they do that—that's—that's uh, that's remains to be seen um, for them to do. I wish them all the best of luck. But that's—that's that's the Coleman that we've come to know. That ter- certainly Team Janine, iHeart Media, all of our partners have, have have come to know a Coleman that will look different. But services will be there, and I want to emphasize that uh, Coleman will be providing um, five key areas of work, and, and you can learn about that by visiting the national site at ComanOregon.org. And those those. Those programs can be supported by raising money here that can come back to this community. Um, so uh, while we while we close one door, and yes, there are things that will be lost that we've worked hard on for several decades, um, a new door will open for Coleman to serve the country in this new uh, this new world we live in um, post-pandemic when we get there. Andrew, to you and your staff, uh, thank you so much for all the good work you've done in our community, and uh, we know that work continues on. We appreciate your being with us today to explain things to us. Paul, thank you for your time and this opportunity. I appreciate it. Oregon Governor Kate Brown updated the state on the COVID-19 pandemic. As we come close to marking nearly a year since the first case of COVID-19 was identified in Oregon, I want to start by reflecting on where we're at in our pandemic response. Today, we hit a grim milestone, crossing past 2,000 COVID-19-related deaths in Oregon. Each life lost to this horrible virus is one too many. I know each number here is someone's mother or father, child, best friend or colleague. Many Oregon families have been directly impacted by the tough reality of losing a loved one to this virus. It's difficult and it's heartbreaking. And my thoughts are with all of these families. Almost a year after COVID-19 arrived in Oregon, I can also say that we are fortunately faring better than almost every other state in the country with regards to infection and mortality rates. Oregon currently has the fourth lowest infection rate and mortality rate in the nation. And on the vaccine front, we are ranked 12th in the nation for getting vaccine shots in arms. I continue to be impressed with Oregonians for making smart choices to keep our communities safe. A year in, thank you to all who continue to follow the public health measures we know help, washing hands, wearing masks, physically distancing, and limiting social gatherings. Over the past two weeks, I'm pleased to see that we've made significant progress in vaccinating our educators and school staff. And we were very happy to learn that the Biden-Harris administration is also increasing vaccine allotments for the states. Earlier this week, I was on a call with the White House when they notified us that states will now be receiving a more than 20% increase in our allotment of vaccines. This is really good news. However, we still have a long way to go. This coming week, We're looking forward to beginning statewide vaccinations for our seniors living independently, 
beginning with those who are 80 years and older. In some counties, vaccinations for seniors are already underway. I want to say thank you to our seniors for your patience thus far and for your continued patience in the coming days and weeks. We are certainly still managing a scarce resource. There is not enough vaccine yet to give everyone who is eligible a shot when they're ready. But our phased approach of incrementally adding in seniors each week will help avoid some of the nightmares we've seen in other states when seniors become eligible all at once and often with several other priority groups. I want to be upfront with you in saying that there will still be some hiccups in this process, but we are going to get through them. Signing up for an appointment will also look different based on your community and your healthcare provider. This is certainly an all hands on deck effort. Director Allen will share more, including details of a new online tool that Google helped us create called Get Vaccinated Oregon to help Oregonians who are eligible for a vaccine. Seniors with questions can also call 211 for information. And to help ensure the phone lines are running smoothly, I am deploying an additional 30 National Guard members to help staff the call center. Our National Guard members have already helped in extraordinary ways, having administered more than 44,000 vaccines to Oregonians. That is 58% of the total vaccines at the sites they are supporting. Thank you to our National Guard and thank you to their employers who are sacrificing while they help in this incredibly important effort. Director of the Oregon Health Authority, Patrick Allen, explains where we stand with the pandemic and the effort to vaccinate Oregonians. If you live in Oregon, you're less likely to get sick with COVID-19 than people in most other states, thanks to the hard work and sacrifice of so many Oregonians. You're also more likely to have been vaccinated than people who live in most other states, too. Oregon continues, as the governor said, to have the fourth lowest COVID-19 infection rate in the nation, the fourth lowest death rate overall, and the fifth lowest death rate for seniors in the country. And Oregon vaccinators have now administered more than half a million doses. But despite all our progress, we know this pandemic is far from over, and we face many challenges, including a short supply of vaccines. Therefore, second point, I'm asking older Oregonians for patience in exchange for this promise. While it will take time, every senior who wants to get vaccinated will get a vaccine in coming weeks. The amount of vaccine Oregon receives from the federal government remains scarce. Not every person 80 and above will be able to get vaccinated on February 8th. Many seniors and their family members will be frustrated in trying to secure a vaccination appointment next week. However, from across the state, health authority staff and our partners at vaccination sites are doing everything we can to connect you to vaccine information. It may take several weeks, but we will get you vaccinated. And the third point is that today we're announcing an important adjustment in our vaccination timelines. Throughout this pandemic, Governor Brown and I have been committed to transparency. At previous news conferences, we've said it could take until early May or later for Oregon uh, to be able to vaccinate a critical mass of seniors. While it's been suggested that the governor governor and I have overpromised in our timelines, we've always said our ability to vaccinate Oregonians depends on three things. First, the supply of doses we receive from the federal government. 
Second, the number of people who are eligible to get vaccinated. And third, the capacity of Oregon vaccination sites to administer doses. So let's tackle the last factor first. Today, vaccination sites across Oregon have the capacity to vaccinate at least twice as many people as we have vaccines to administer. We've had days where we've vaccinated 20,000 or more individuals. That leaves supply and demand as the remaining limiting factors. If our supply of vaccine keeps pace with an expanding number of people who are eligible, we can stay on track. But if it doesn't, then we'll fall behind. Next week, when seniors begin to become eligible, we will see some degree of chaos. Next week, many older adults will inevitably voice frustration. Next week, you will not have to look hard to see people experiencing confusion. We will fall short. As much as we want to offer every older adult seamless access to a vaccine next week and over the rest of this month, the numbers don't lie. The gap between our eligible population and our allocated doses will be wide at first. As much as we want older Oregonians to have a simple, convenient consumer experience, we're still building a new vaccine distribution system to respond to a novel coronavirus pandemic. There will be gaps we'll struggle to bridge for many people. And while the same confusion and frustration reigns for older adults trying to find vaccines in every other state in the country, we're working hard to reduce the amount of chaos we see here. So how can older adults get a COVID-19 vaccine? Like other eligible adults, seniors can get vaccinated through local public health authorities or their partners, including hospitals, public vaccination clinics, and, uh, and in long-term care facilities. Starting soon, some seniors will be able to get vaccinated at some retail pharmacies. In most counties, older adults won't be able to get vaccinated at a doctor's office, though some counties are making that possible. The options available to an older adult will depend on the county they live in. Vaccines are scarce, but as we've shown, Oregon gets more doses every week. By early April, everyone who wants a vaccine should be able to get one. It's just going to take some time. While vaccine providers won't be able to schedule an appointment right away, we, can't offer, we can offer different ways to get linked to vaccine information and events. Here are some of the ways older adults can stay informed. New tools on covidvaccine.oregon.gov, OHA's vaccination website, features facts about COVID-19 vaccines. As of February 8th, 2021, the website also includes a new tool, Get Vaccinated Oregon. This tool will allow people to determine if they are currently eligible for a vaccine and register to get email alerts or text notifications when they become eligible. Once you're eligible, the tool will help direct users to vaccine events in their area. The tool will be open to all Oregonians. Using this tool does not guarantee users a specific place in line, but it will help you find a vaccine event in your area. As of February 5th, vaccine information by county will be newly updated on OHA's website at covidvaccine.oregon.gov. The site will include specific information about where an older adult can access vaccine in their area. For people who live in the metro area, a chatbot on the website is also available to link you to local events. Get vaccine information from 211. Older Oregonians can also text ORCOVID, O-R-C-O-V-I-D, to 898-211 to get text updates about vaccination clinics. This option is available in English and Spanish. Seniors can also email orcovid at 211info.org. 
If you can't get your COVID-19 vaccine questions answered on the website or by text or by email, you can call 211 or 866-698-6155, which is open from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. daily, including holidays. Please be aware that wait times may be long due to high call volumes. As Governor Brown announced, the Oregon National Guard is helping 211 answer phones. Finally, pharmacy partners are vaccinating residents and staff at most licensed facilities for older adults and people with disabilities. Residents or family members can ask their facility operator when their residence is scheduled for a vaccination clinic. We're now at a point where the number of Oregonians who've been vaccinated against COVID-19 is more than double the number of people who've been diagnosed with the virus. But that doesn't eliminate the risks we face or diminish the lives of people we've lost to the pandemic. Today, we mark another grim milestone in Oregon's fight against COVID-19. As the governor mentioned, Oregon has now recorded 2,002 deaths associated with the coronavirus. Our 2,000th person lost was a 90-year-old woman in Yamhill County who tested positive on February 1st and died on February 2nd at her residence. She had underlying conditions. At this stage of the pandemic, many of us have seen family, friends, or neighbors die from COVID-19, or we know people who have lost loved ones. Many of us at OHA grieve the loss of our own family and friends. Every loss weighs on us. I want to extend my deepest sympathies to every family who's mourned a parent, sibling, or child who died from a COVID-19 infection. As each death keeps us focused on preventing others from dying, as I said at the outset, Oregonians have made a difference. While each death is tragic and preventable, your sacrifices have prevented the deaths of thousands more. Those are the stakes we're facing. Nearly a year into the pandemic, more than eight in 10 Oregonians continue to wear masks indoors in public places. The majority of Oregonians are limiting social gatherings and staying six feet apart in public. Thank you. Please keep it up, it's working. And when it comes time to get your vaccine, choose to get immunized. It's the safest and most reliable way to stop the spread of the virus. That's Patrick Allen, director of the Oregon Health Authority, along with Governor Kate Brown, updating the pandemic in Oregon. Thanks for listening to Local Voices. I'm Brad Ford. You can hear past episodes on the iHeartRadio app under the podcast tab. Local Voices is a public affairs presentation from iHeartRadio. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.